Good morning. Glad to see everyone out here this morning. Uh, Go ahead and be turning in your Bibles to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. We're continuing our uh, class book here on the greatest questions in the Old Testament. This morning we'll be in lesson 19, which is on page 108. And the title of the lesson this morning, If the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Why then is all this befallen us? All right. Before we get into the text, I want to um, bring up a a real-world situation kind of get our minds in gear this morning. It's not a great one, but I, I think it's appropriate for what we'll talk about this morning. Does anyone recognize the picture on the slide? Anybody? Yes, it's in Nashville. It's the Burnett Chapel Church of Christ, right? Does anyone remember why the congregation was in the news? There's a shooting there a few years ago, right? 2017, September 24th, a gunman entered the church building and opened fire. Uh, Wounded six, killed one. The members were able to, I believe, restrain him. And then, of course, police arrived on the scene, and and the rest is is history there. Um, Tragic? Senseless? Horrible? Shocking? And the question I want to pose to you this morning is why, right? And I'm not looking for an answer. I just want you to think, why, right? Put yourself in the shoes of our brothers and sisters who attend this congregation and who had to go through that experience and and ask yourself, you know, why us, right? Why would this happen to us when we're minding our own business at a worship service, you know, when this person comes in. And it could happen to, to any congregation, right? Any church. That's why we have security teams these days. We have to, right? Because of this. But I imagine some of the people there, just like anyone else, found themselves asking why. You know, why did this happen? What's the reasoning behind it? It makes no sense. And so what I want to talk about this morning is this question. Because Gideon is in a situation where he's asking, if I'm part of God's people, right? If the Lord is with his people, then why do these things happen? Why do things happen to God's people? I thought I signed up for a God of protection and of power, right? And of love. And so if I'm following this God that that I've been taught about, why does this stuff happen, right? It's not an easy answer. It's not an easy question to to attempt to answer, and perhaps I'm somewhat foolish for being the person to volunteer for it. Um, But we're going to look at some stuff this morning. I don't promise that everything will be satisfying or that we'll close the book on the subject, Um, but perhaps we'll learn some things along the way. So let's open up Judges, 
and start reading. Now, our, uh, our key verse this morning is verse uh, 13 out of Judges chapter 6. So what we're going to do is we're going to read down from verse 1 to verse 13. Uh, we have any volunteers who'd like to read? Anyone? All right, I'll do it. Someone's got to do it. Sorry? Uh, 6, 1 through 13. J- Judges 6, 1 through 13. Well, thank you, Paul, for volunteering. 1 through 13. Tip for those of you who ever teach a Bible class, if you get a section of Old Testament Scripture and it has some of those weird names of the nations, just get someone else to read it for you instead. Um, yeah, so, so now we see the context of Gideon's question, right? Now we understand why he's asking it. I think that's very important to understand the background and the situation that led to this, you know, this, this type of conversation that Gideon's having here. And you can, I, I think you can kind of tell just by reading there's probably some sarcasm in his voice. I bet there's a lot of emotion in his voice, some frustration, right? Because where are the Israelites living at this time? Yeah, which would be Canaan, which was promised, right? I'm in the land that God promised us. And, and we see um, in verse, uh, verse uh, 8 and 9, I believe, and 10. I mean, we lay out the history here. I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you here. And so from, the, from Gideon's perspective, the thinking is, you brought us out of slavery in Egypt to make, a, make us slaves to the Midianites, right? 
you brought us out of all these things and now we're in the situation. So where is God? You know, where are his promises? Um, they were oppressed by the Midianites, says for seven years in verses uh, one and two. And this conversation is taking place between Gideon and this angel of God. And the angel says, the Lord is with you, right? And, and as I mentioned a second ago, from Gideon's perspective, there's some confusion here because when he's looking around his daily life and he's looking at the situations that he has to deal with and that his people have to deal with, he's probably asking himself, where is God, right? I, I thought we were the people of God, so what's going on? And so he, I think, appropriately asked, you know, why is this happening, right? Now, there's some context within this passage that is different from the example that I brought up earlier of the, the Burnett Chapel Church of Christ. Um, and we're going to get into that this morning because I think it's fair to say that not all suffering is created equal, right? And not all suffering comes from the same places. And so what I'd like to do for the, the bulk of our study this morning is kind of examine the nature of, of suffering. And I think if we understand the causes of suffering, the nature of suffering, suffering um, that will help us understand all the different situations that we might be faced with, okay? Um, now, if anyone has any comments or, or questions, you know, make sure to, to speak up as we go along. Make sure that I, that I stop and, and you catch me, because I can kind of get carried away uh, on some of this. All right, so, so the first one, I think, is probably the, the simplest. You know, why do we suffer? Why do the people of God suffer? Why does anyone suffer? I think the simplest answer, the simplest example of why suffering comes is because of our own actions, right? And when you look in the context of our passage this morning in Judges 6, I mean, that's the situation. What does it say in verses 1 and 2? Who did evil in the sight of the Lord? The children of Israel, right? And so when Gideon's asking this question, Gideon kind of knows, right? Um, it's, it's difficult to, to try to present an excuse in this example because we know why the Israelites were given over to the Midianites. And this is not going to be the last time that Israelites are given over to some other nation because of their iniquity, right? Because of their disobedience and their unfaithfulness. And so in this example, the suffering was brought upon themselves. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6. Someone please read uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. All right, so we, we have kind of both in this section in Galatians, both a positive and a negative example, right? The positive, of course, being to, to reap eternal life. But the negative is that you would reap corruption, right? If you're, if you're sowing to the flesh, well, what are you going to reap? You're going to reap to the flesh. And so this principle is common sense, but it's also biblical that I will reap what I sow. And what were the Israelites sowing? Yeah, they were sowing evil. And so what did they reap? They, 
reaped evil. And so we shouldn't be surprised, the Israelites shouldn't have been surprised because they had left God, they disobeyed God, and they'd done evil in His sight. We understand, going into Romans chapter 6, Uh, verse 23, again, a negative and a positive. And Paul writes, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, in this example, what are the Israelites getting? They're getting what they sowed, right? They were sinning. And so the wages of sin, the, the payoff of sin, the return on investment is death. And so the Israelites had, had been doing evil in the sight of the Lord, and what they were getting back, the experience that they were getting back, was the consequences of their actions. And so suffering sometimes comes from the consequences of our actions. Sometimes we do things, right? We do stupid things. We do selfish things. Uh, we do uh, things that, that we shouldn't do. And none of us should be surprised when there are real-world consequences for the poor decisions we make. We try to teach that to our children, right? If, if you do something bad, something bad's going to happen. Um, and sometimes we tend to forget that as adults for some reason. Uh, or sometimes maybe we get so caught up in ourselves that we expect that somehow we should be exempt from this principle. But that's not the case. Uh, what you sow, you shall also reap. And this is one lesson in a long history of lessons that the Israelites are going to face uh, of what happens when they leave, uh, when they leave God. But I don't want to stop here, and I don't think it's appropriate to stop here, because we see in the Gospels, honestly, from the Jewish people, right, and who can blame them based on their history again, this, this perspective that all suffering comes from our own actions, right? That all suffering comes from the consequences of the decisions we make. And you get questions like, well, who sinned, right, to cause this? And sometimes the answer is not, you know, it's, it's not that you're, it's your own fault. It's not that you brought it upon yourself. And so there are less obvious instances of suffering, um, less, uh, like it's more difficult to understand or wrap our head around. And I think that's where these types of questions truly come out. Yes? It doesn't just affect the Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've been talking about men or the elders. Okay, how, how their children live mm -hmm. and affect that mm -hmm. decision. The man may have done everything right as a parent, but if the child strays, that's a reflection on the upbringing. And that knocks him out of an opportunity to serve God in a great way. So the consequences of sin do not just affect Right, and, and that's a great transition to my, uh, my next point. Because sometimes we suffer from the actions of others, right? Sometimes suffering does not come upon ourselves from what we've done, but from what someone else has done. And the, the, the text there on that slide is not very great, so I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, sometimes we suffer the consequences of the actions of others. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. 
Matthew chapter 5. Somebody will read verses 11 and 12. Matthew 5, 11 and 12. All right, who's Jesus speaking to here? The people who gather around the Sermon on the Mount. Jews, poor Jews. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, uh, all these people that were following him, right, wanting to learn from him. And, and as you mentioned, this is the Sermon on the Mount, right? Um, when he says, those who would revile you or persecute you, what, what, what's he getting at? Why is he, why is he telling them that they'd be persecuted? Yeah, the implication is that they will be followers of Christ, right? Okay. So, again, we're talking about people of God, okay? I think we can expand the discussion of suffering into, you know, suffering in the general world and general population. But within the context of of Gideon, I want to stay within just the people of God because I think there's a stronger question there than just anyone. Um, Talking about the people of God suffering as opposed to someone who may not be obeying God. Uh, and so Jesus gives this warning, right? And he also gives encouragement uh, of, of, about persecution and reviling and all those things. And so then what kind of suffering would someone be enduring in that situation? Would it be their own sin? Is it, is it my fault if someone decides to persecute me for my beliefs? That's a decision someone else is making, right? That's what I'm trying to get at here. It's a decision that someone else has made to inflict and cause suffering on another person, right? And so sometimes we suffer at the hands of others. Sometimes other people out in the world, or even people maybe close to us, do things to us that cause us to suffer that we had no control over and that we had no influence over. Um, and it just happened outside the sphere of our own uh, decision-making. And this one's difficult, but this one kind of gets into the, the discussion of, of humanity being a free moral agent, right? For God to respect a person's ability to choose their behavior, to make decisions and choose to obey Him, He also has to respect their ability to not obey Him. And sometimes that affects other people, like was mentioned a few minutes ago. Sometimes those, the ripple effects of the decisions we make um, affect those around us, and that people suffer not because of their own deeds, but because of the deeds of others. And this can be intentional or it can be unintentional, right? It can be persecution, it could be uh, reviling, it could be just violence upon another person, as we talked about in the example at the beginning of the lesson, right? A person chose to commit violence against innocent people. It was not their fault. They didn't do anything to deserve it. The guy came in and he started hurting people because of his own decision. But it can also be unintentional, right? Sometimes we unintentionally hurt people. Sometimes other people unintentionally hurt us. Uh, one good example that might hit close to home for some people is drunk driving accidents, right? Someone's foolish, selfish, sinful decision making led to the suffering of another person who had no business suffering in that instance, right? Who did nothing to deserve it. And 
It was not intentional. It was negligent. It was stupid. But it wasn't intentional. And yet suffering still comes because of a person's bad choice, right? And so sometimes suffering comes at us that we have no control over and that there's no explanation for what we did to deserve it because we didn't. Um, it's because someone else made a choice. Someone else made a free choice, a bad choice, and, and suffering came as a result of it. Um, think about Job. All right, we don't really have time this morning to kind of get into a full study of Job, just as an aside to this lesson. But what's the, what are some of the major conversations in the book of Job going on between Job and his friends? What are the themes, or what is the theme? He was tortured by so-called friends. He well, friend, that's true. That, not, not the best friends in the world, um, but, but why? What was the conversation about? Right, so, so, the, so the primary theme of Job, right, one of the major conversations in Job is why is this happening to me, right? You know, sound familiar? And the debate between Job and his friends is about culpability. His friends insisted that he had done something. Job insisted he had not, right? And that's kind of the debate over the course of the book. And it's interesting, I was looking through it last night, just kind of reflecting on it and, and reviewing I don't recall God ever actually saying to Job specifically what exactly happened or why. Part of the end of the book and the conversation between uh, Job and God is that God doesn't owe him an answer. But I think what we learn from the book of Job, especially the ending and the beginning outside of Job's experience and his conversation and his perspective, is that there were things going on that he didn't have any control over. Right, and that he wasn't aware of. And things were happening to him, but it wasn't something that he brought upon himself. And God chastises his friends at the end for trying to blame him for the things that happened because they didn't know what they were talking about. And so I thought Job kind of fit into this example as well. Um, in a different sense, right? Not that he was suffering at the hands of another person per se, but that he was suffering based on the actions and the decision making of, of someone other than himself. Mm -hmm. I think you got a copy of my slides this morning before I started my class. No, you're great. <laughs> Have you been looking at my outline? <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, and that's the last point I want to get to this morning. The last example I want to get to this morning. When I thought about this, and, and it's kind of reflected in, in uh, the book as well, right? There's this kind of section on our own, our own um, decision-making, others, people's sins, and then sometimes it's no one's fault, right? And that might be the most difficult case of suffering out of the three. It's easy to understand when I've done something and I suffer for it. It's more difficult to understand that I'm suffering at the hands of someone else, but at least I can figure it, I, I can see what happened and I can understand that yes, someone else made a terrible decision. And so there's at least some bit of, of understanding there. But then this third category, I'm calling just natural circumstances, might be the most difficult to figure out. Because in this situation, there is no person 
in control. There's no person making decisions, right? This is something that's happened outside of any one person's influence. And those are the ones that are most difficult to explain, right? And those are the most difficult to wrap our head around. And so the, the way I'm categorizing this morning is consequences of my own actions, consequences of someone else's actions, or the consequences of no one's actions, right? Um, so sometimes things happen that, that is no one specific person's fault. And that's a very unsatisfying answer. Uh, let's look at a few examples in Scripture. Let's turn over to the book of, let's see, the Gospel account of Luke. Someone turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, if somebody will please read verses 1 through 5. Okay, so I want to kind of focus here on the Tower of Siloam. What is Jesus saying when he brings it up as an example? He asks a rhetorical question about were the people that died from the tower falling worse sinners than others? A rhetorical question asked to provoke thought, right? What's the point he's trying to get across? Hmm? All, sin brings death. All, sin, all sin brings death, yes. But with the example of the tower, whose sin was it? Right? His, his point is, those people weren't any worse sinners than anyone else, right? The tower fell, and they died. But it doesn't appear to be, based on my reading, that he's attributing any of the, that event to any of their sins, right? Now that they were not worse sinners than anyone else, and yet this happened. Um, let's take another example. Let's uh, go to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and let's... Read verses 1 through 7. Yes, somebody read verses 1 through 7 of John 9. So again, another example of this question of, well, who sinned, right? Because something bad has happened. 
And so what is Jesus' response when his disciples ask, who sinned to cause this man to be born blind? Nobody, right? It was not due to sin that he was born blind. It was not due to the sin of the people that the Tower of Siloam fell on top of that, that it happened. These were circumstances that were outside of their individual decision-making. It's just a tragic event had occurred, right? Small side note, and I think I might pursue this later on, but I think it's interesting that both of these examples of sin not being due to someone's uh, actions happen around Siloam, right? Or at least not around Siloam, but have to do with this idea, right? The Tower of Siloam and the, uh, the Pool of Siloam, right? thought it was kind of interesting. Maybe it's just a coincidence. Um, but yeah, the, the situation here where things happened, right? Events occurred. Suffering happened. But the answer is that it was no one's, it was no one's fault. It, it happened in the course of events of this world that we live in, that this is not our home, this is not a perfect place, and that things happen, that, that tornadoes happen, that floods happen, um, that all these things, you know, that, that there is that chance of suffering just by the very nature of our physical existence, right? That, that, that we are not in a perfect place. Mm-hmm. It's also opportunities for us to do good to those who are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in all these things, there lies the opportunity, right? There lies the, the opportunity to try to pull good out of the bad things or to insert good into the bad things for us to be there, for us to do, um, to, for us to help, for us to encourage, whatever it may be. So... What I want to leave you with this morning, again, I said not all my answers are going to be satisfactory, but I want to leave you with kind of a prompt to think on somewhat. Regardless of the nature of suffering, the response from our part is the same, right? It's a response of faith. Ultimately, this is where faith comes into play. And I had this thought as I was preparing this lesson. Think about issues of faith that come up. Uh, Think about the existence of God. Think about uh, whether the Bible is is accurate and divinely inspired. Think about Jesus and his miracles and and whether Jesus was who he said he was. When I started thinking about um, faith in relation to this situation, what I, the conclusion I came to is that many things that we consider issues of faith really aren't. Think about the creation of the world, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. We have evidence to believe in the biblical account of the creation of the world. We have evidence in the existence of God. We, we have evidence that Jesus was who he said he was because of the miracles he did. There's a whole lot of issues that I think we attribute to matters of faith that maybe we do so unnecessarily. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
Well, if the scripture says that the attributes of God are clearly seen in his creation, then I don't think it's a matter of faith to believe in the existence of God. I think it's a matter of evidence, okay? If Jesus came and did miracles in front of many witnesses, then this isn't an issue of something not being seen. This is something that was seen. There's evidence. And so I don't know if it's really a matter of faith. And so when I'm thinking about faith in terms of Hebrews 11, what I'm thinking about is something I haven't seen, something I'm hoping for, okay? And what I arrive at is, what can I not see? What am I hoping for? Ultimately, it's tomorrow, right? Or ultimately, it's deliverance. Or ultimately, it's that this situation will be resolved in a good way. Or that God will fulfill his promises and that he will see me through to the end. What I haven't seen is the end result of the situation that I'm in, right? And that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping for God to keep his promises, okay? And I think that's really the challenge of faith is believing that God will deliver on his promises and that God will see me through. Because that's something I haven't seen. And that's something I'm hoping for. I haven't been through that process. I'm not on the other side yet. And I think that's an interesting thing to think about with perspective or with regard to suffering, right? Suffering is difficult. Understanding it is difficult. And I think it's difficult because it's actually a matter of faith that we're not quite used to in dealing in other areas. Because in those other areas, we do have evidence. But yet we struggle sometimes to understand that this challenge of faith is something that we don't see. We don't see the entire picture, just like Job. We don't see what's going on. And so what I want to suggest to you then is this response of faith, this is the true challenge, because this is the one that I don't have evidence for. This is the one I'm still hoping, that I haven't seen everything work itself out yet. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter has some insightful things to say, talking about suffering. Um, I'm going to start in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if that begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? In, in the middle section, you see Peter's appealing to the future, right? He's appealing to the outcome. Uh, he's appealing to uh, the revelation of his glory so that then they can rejoice. In the current day, they're suffering, but they're looking forward to a time of rejoicing. Um, think about, in the Old Testament example, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They were facing suffering for um, their faith. And they went into the fiery furnace, again, not knowing what the outcome would be, right? Faith, things hoped for, things not seen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am acting on faith that God will see me through, however that manifests itself. This, I think, is, is really 
the takeaway. Let's go back to um, Judges again. Back to Judges chapter 6. Because there is a response to Gideon's question. Someone read, uh, let's see, Judges 6. Someone read verses uh, 14 through 16. So, so when Gideon asked this question, where has God been, right? Why is this happening? What's the response that he gets? I'm with you, hmm? I'm with you. I'm with you right? And I will see you through, right? I have this mission for you to do. Go and do it. I am with you. And again, I think that's kind of the, the ultimate lesson of Gideon's example this morning and of all these topics we've talked about, that the, it's a challenge of faith. It's, it's a challenge to look ahead and understand that this world isn't everything and our current situation isn't everything, that there is a lot going on and that God has promised that he will see us through and that he will um, be with us. And it's on us to respond in that way believing in his promises and trusting that he will deliver us. All right. Any more questions or comments? Right, a time for self-reflection. Yep. All right, good comments. Thank you very much.